Welcome to All Sides with Anna Staver. We're talking about trains this hour, from the proposed Amtrak trains that could cross our state to local stops that could ease commuting or even get you to and from the airport. Joining me to kick off our conversation on passenger rail is Elliot Lewis, a senior planner for the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, MORPSI, and the lead planner of the effort to reintroduce passenger rail to central Ohio. Welcome to All Sides, Elliot. Thank you for having me. So, Ohioans have heard this story before. We're going to build a train system connecting Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. And, you know, I think those who have grown up in the Buckeye State might roll their eyes at another round of news stories about the reintroduction of passenger rail. So, not to start with too hard of a question, but what makes this effort different? No, that's very understandable. Uh, what makes this effort different is the the bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, the big federal transportation bill that was passed a couple of years ago has record level funding for passenger rail across the nation. Part of that bill uh, is a new planning program called the Corridor Identification and Development Program that allows prospective sponsors to apply and uh, study for new service, you know, whether across the state or between states uh, or enhancing existing service. And so it takes all of the planning uh, to a systematic, comprehensive level. And so we can say that it's not just Ohio doing this, Michigan doing this, Arizona doing this, for instance, but we're looking at trying to make an interconnected network across the, the nation. Yeah, one of the proposed lines would run from New York all the way to Chicago, right? Yeah, It'd be, it would be great. And, you know, we worked with our partners uh, with the city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, on that one for the line between Chicago and Pittsburgh. And we had uh, support from private sector, public sector, nonprofit sector uh, across five states. We had over 100 letters of support and many more comments supporting, say, this is something that we want to do, that we want to study. Uh, the governor's office, uh, thankfully, they um, – you know, put their support behind this too, amending the state rail plan to include that corridor in it, as well as um, you know leading the charge to submit the application for that Cincinnati to Columbus to Cleveland line. How important is the support of the governor's office? Because I'm remembering a different governor who wasn't on board with high speed rail. Right. I mean, it's it's very important. Uh, so that line would be a state supported line. So it's going to be you know planned, uh, eventually constructed and operated or uh, supported by the state. Uh, so having, you know, at the outset, the governor saying this is something that we want to study. We want to do this right. We make sure that you know, if and when we do implement this, that we know, you know, what uh, the best service can be that we can implement. And what I find really fascinating about this is when you think of building a railroad, you think of laying railroad tracks. But it sounds like most of that work's already done. Yes, thankfully. I mean, Ohio has a very robust uh, existing rail network, uh, mostly used by freight. There are some passenger uh, routes in Cincinnati and Cleveland. Uh, But what we are looking at right now is using that existing network, especially corridors that have uh, that are a little under capacity uh, through you know shifting of uh, freight transportation. And so we have the ability to use what's already there and uh, only constructing what's necessary to add a little bit of capacity so we can get around freight trains or vice versa. So connecting, you know, Cleveland to Columbus and Cincinnati, you know, is interesting in and of itself. But since you uh, are a senior planner for MORPSI, which is the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, I'm hoping you can talk about how passenger rail might change the way we commute here in the Columbus region. 
Right. So it it you know when we look at passenger rail, we think intercity connections, interregional connections, like we talk about Chicago and New York. Uh, but we also want to use this as a tool in our transportation network at large. You know, having having great connections with our transit, uh, with small communities. Uh, I'm thinking of you know a place like a Dublin or a Hilliard or a Delaware. Uh, having uh, you know the potential to hop on a train, come right downtown, or hop on a train and go somewhere else, but also having people come to your communities. And once they're there, being able to get around where they need to go. I would personally probably ride the train from Delaware down to <laughs> Ohio State, were that actually an option. Uh, but where are we going to see some of these new stations, right? I think the current plans or the ones being bandied about talk about seven new stations, including one maybe at the Columbus Convention Center. Right. So we are just at the very beginning uh, of these planning stages. There have been plans in the past that have identified potential station locations. We're going to take a fresh look at that. Uh, right now, the only you know ones that we're definitely planning for are going to be you know Chicago, uh, Fort Wayne, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland, because they're named in the actual route itself. But we are looking at intermediate stops between there. It's hard to say right now exactly where those would be, but there would be some intermediate stops so that we can uh, have access not only just in our large central cities, but also our smaller towns, our rural and Appalachian uh, regions of the state as well. So I grew up on the outskirts of New York City, and my father walked to the train station in the morning, and he loved it. He read the newspaper on his commute. They had bar cars in the evenings. <laughs> uh, but I wonder how you convince folks this close to the car capital of Detroit to change their habits. Right. Well, so it's when you think about train travel, because I've talked to many people about this, and one of the things that people bring up is, well, why would I take a three-hour train ride if I can take a two-hour drive? And the thought is, okay, well, yeah, you're, you would be saving an hour by driving. But that's all windshield time. That's all unproductive time that you are driving behind the wheel. It might be a little bit longer taking a train, which I will say that as we're playing this, we want this to be competitive with car travel. We don't want these trains to be you know, going 10 miles an hour you know, <laughs> through, through farms to get to Cleveland. We want this to be competitive uh, with car travel. But while you're sitting there, you're able to read a newspaper. You're able to nap. Uh, you're able to get where you are uh, more safely to where if you're tired or you know, distracted, you don't have to worry about you know, keeping your hands on the wheels and staring out the windshield. You can use that time uh, for better uses. And we also want to hear from you this hour. Are you interested in a train station in Dublin or Delaware? Uh, do you think this is just another round of pipe dreams, essentially. If you have an opinion on trains, give us a call at 614-292-8513 or email us allsides at wosu.org. So when you talk about competitive speeds, that brings up the question, why not high-speed rail? Some of this federal funding, particularly in California, is for this high-speed rail. Wouldn't it be a great selling point to say you could get from Cleveland to Columbus in an hour? Absolutely. And that is something that we're going to look at as well. The issue is if we're using existing freight track, we're kind of limited by uh, that existing infrastructure. Ah. And so it, think of a, if, if you're driving on a road, if that road is a little bit bumpier or something, you don't want a high speed limit on that road. Same thing with these uh, rails. They have, have speed a, limits. You have speed limits, exactly. Uh, part of what we're doing with the planning is to be able to look at, okay, what would it take to upgrade these rails 
so we can boost those speed limits, you know, past 70, 80 miles an hour to 110 miles an hour, 125 miles an hour. So we're going to evaluate uh, how, what that would cost, you know, where we would need the, this extra capacity and balance that with, um, you know, the total cost to where we could invest in other frequencies down the line. We recently did a show about how Greyhound terminals are disappearing from downtown cores, and it's part of a national trend that does make commuting more challenging for those without cars. Has there been any discussion of incorporating bus terminals into the rail stations? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of making sure that whenever you get to a place, you can get to your final destination, whether you bike, whether you walk, whether you roll, whether you take a bus, ride, share, drive, whatever it is. This is an all, uh, all uh, options uh, way of thinking. And so thinking about Columbus specifically, you know, we're uh, working with CODA. We've had initial discussions uh, about, okay, make sure that when we plan for these stations that the transit agencies uh, are included in that, you know, the, the people who are over transportation. So thinking about uh, you know, we're working on Link Us, this mobility initiative to enhance bus service, uh, you know, enhance ex- our expanded trails and networks. Uh, we want to make sure that this is all working together so that we're not doing things piecemeal and things get, you know, slipped through the cracks. We have a call from Sean in Columbus. Go ahead, Sean. Hi, uh, my name's John Robinson. I own a, a bike shop, Johnny Vella Bikes, and was wondering... Once you have these stations, is MORPC, do they have plans to find ways to get people to their destinations from the station, whether it be bike trails, uh, city transit, uh, bike rental, Kogo bike shares, um, taxis, Ubers, that sort of thing? Is, Is that part of this comprehensive plan? That's a great question because, you know, to go back to my dad, he would take the train Metro North into Grand Central, but then there's a a huge network of subways and buses and cabs Mm -hmm. to take you to your final destination. Yes, we are on the uh, same frequency. Uh, We absolutely want to make sure that any way that you travel, that that is an option at the train station uh, where you come. And so, so I lived in Chicago for a while. I would take the train from Chicago to Milwaukee. And I would take my bike with me. I was able to roll my bike right on the train. They would take it, uh, get off, and I could take my bike uh, it through around Milwaukee. But even if I didn't have that, you know, we can have Kogo Bike Share. We can have you know better sidewalks and paths that connect you uh, in an active transportation way. But you also have room for buses uh, to come and pick people up. You have room for rideshare if necessary uh, to come p- pick people up. So you know, we, again, we're in the you know very beginning stages of this. But we are very mindful to make sure that we accommodate all modes of transportation. And I think, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there also has to be a mindset shift about how far is too far to walk. Because, you know, in in places like New York City and Chicago, it's not uncommon to walk half a mile, a mile to your office after mm-hmm. getting off at a station. But culturally, that feels different here. It does. It does. And, you know, where we're thinking about a downtown station in Columbus, it's not, you know, verified, but likely around the convention center. You know, thankfully, you have a lot of places right there. Uh, So we want to make sure that when we look at stations, does it make sense to put something out in the middle of nowhere? Does it make sense to put something close to a lot of destinations? But yeah, I mean, sometimes it can take a little uh, longer to walk. So we want to make sure that 
for those who don't choose to walk or can't walk. And there are other ways to get around. We have a call from Alan in Columbus. Welcome to All Sides. Hi. We have a call from Alan in Columbus. Let's turn that off. Are you there, Alan? Real good. Um, We just wanted to call in and voice our support for train travel. We have enjoyed Via Rail in Canada and um, the Amtrak in states. Uh, find trade travel much more relaxing than flying. Flying seems like you get paid to get tortured. <laughs> uh, you could relax and, and enjoy your, your trip on a train. Uh, also, we spent some time in Germany while I was in the military and got all over the place in the train and was quicker than driving. Yeah, I will say as somebody who used to live out west, some of those tour trains, particularly through southern Utah, can be just breathtaking. Uh, for for our five-year anniversary, we took the California Zephyr from Chicago to California and went right through uh, Utah, and it's probably the best vacation that we've had. Uh, but even if it's, you know, it's fun. It's great. Like, imagine taking a train from Columbus up to Cleveland for a Browns game or down to Cincinnati for a Bengals game. I'm not a fan of either, so don't. <laughs> yell at me, uh, fans of both, but and not worry about trying to park once you get there. Pay for that, you know, being able to, uh, you know, enjoy yourself in a you know responsible, safe manner, and not have to worry about you know driving on seventy one all the time. It's fun, but it's also there are also you know necessities. That there's the idea that it's either work or leisure travel, but so many more people ride trains. Because they have to for one reason or another. I was in Kansas City last week, and um, I was talking with uh, a rideshare driver, ironically. Uh, But she was saying how her mother recently moved in with her in Kansas City, but all of her doctors are still in St. Louis. Mm. So she takes the train from Kansas City to St. Louis for all of her medical appointments. Think of all the hospitals in Cleveland or Cincinnati or here uh, or even further out, and all the people that, you know, would need someone to drive them there. Now having another option, expanded uh, freedom, honestly, to uh, live their lives. We have a call from Donald in Columbus. Welcome to All Sides. Hi, you hear me? Yeah, we hear you great. Good. Um, I've been thinking about this, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of a, a puts a kind of a naysayer. Um, what about what we already have? We already have buses, and why and and other form another form. Why don't we just instead of subsidizing rail, subsidize um, some type of bus line, or even better, subsidized a small airline, commuter airline, for these instead of uh, pursuing the expense and. Uh, in, uh, in the building of infrastructure for rail. I mean, we've got, you know, um, there are bus services to, you know, Cleveland and Cincinnati. Why not subsidize them instead of uh, building a whole new infrastructure of rail? You know, that's a very good point. Uh, when we think about rail, one, again, we're talking about options. I would uh, love to see expanded inner city uh, bus service as well. Uh, when we think about rail specifically, uh, this is a new opportunity that we have. You know, there, We do have this opportunity 
uh, and support from the federal government to study this. So we want to make sure that we capitalize on all opportunities that we have. But thinking about rail, there are two uh, key benefits uh, to, to uh, you know, instituting passenger rail, one of which is sustainability. Rail travel is one of the most environmentally friendly uh, ways of travel, the lowest emissions per passenger mile per uh, ton of freight. Uh, so it is a very good option that we can have to lower our air emissions from the transportation sector. The other one is resiliency. Uh, I, you know, I've taken a bus from West Virginia growing up to New York City. Uh, that's how we got around That's a places. long bus ride. It is a long bus ride. It was an overnighter. Uh, that was the option that we had, though. But I've also been on long bus rides that have been delayed because of weather. Think about a snowstorm that you know knocks out all of the um, flights you know, when you're at the airport and you're delayed uh, an hour, two hours, or even a day. You know, rail is much more uh, resilient to uh, increased you know uh, weather volatility, if you will. Uh, and coupling that with the environmental uh, benefits of lower air emissions, you know, this is a good. Uh, option that we uh, are very supportive of. And if you want to join the conversation on bringing passenger rail back to Ohio, give us a call at 614-292-8513. We're going to take a break in just a moment. But first, I want to ask you, our listeners, for a little help. We're starting a new project in March that focuses on the housing crisis. And we want to hear from you. If you can't keep up with your rent increases, feel like you'll never be able to buy a house, maybe you snagged one of those low-interest loans and now you're stuck in your starter home, or you're getting priced out of your place by property taxes. If you have a housing story you'd like to share with us, email allsides at wosu.org and please put housing in the subject line. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staber. We're exploring the possibility of passenger rail in Ohio this hour. And while the three C's get most of the headlines, Ohio's suburbs and small towns are also interested in becoming a part of Amtrak's expansion. Still with us is Elliot Lewis, a senior planner for the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission. And joining us now is David Zack, president and CEO of the Crawford Partnership for Education and Economic Development. And he's advocating for Amtrak expansion into the village of Crestline. Welcome to All Sides, David. Thank you, Anna. Great to be here. You know, cities across the country have lived and died by whether they got a railroad station. Historically, you know, whole towns built up around the depots. So what impact would an Amtrak service have on a smaller community like Crestline? So that's a great question. Uh, you know, there was a re recent uh, economic impact study done for the state 
uh, and it didn't include a, a specific analysis of Crestline, but if we extrapolate some of the numbers, we think it could generate uh, at least on an annual ongoing basis up to 20 new jobs, a million dollars in new payroll, uh, maybe up to 100,000 in uh, annual taxes at the local level. Uh, and have an economic impact uh, annually of one to three million dollars. So, but it's much more significant than that. That's kind of direct impact. I think what's very important for us is that community development is economic development. So if you're incre increasing and improving the quality of life and making community more attractive in the long term, that's going to set the state as well as a, a village like Crestline with about 5,000 people on the road to uh, economic prosperity because where people are going to want to live is where business is going to go. And I especially think as home prices continue to rise in central Ohio, those long commutes, they're they're really not for everybody. But, you know, Elliot, I was thinking, you know, you might be more willing to live an hour outside of Columbus if you could ride the train in. Oh, absolutely. And also think about telework, too, and working from home. Uh, being able to go into the office three days a week you can make that trade-off of saying, I can live further away in a smaller community, something, you know, if that is, you know, uh, appealing to you. Being able to live in a smaller community with more affordable housing, but still have that connection to the larger economic and political centers. Uh, we have a call from Susan in Omaha. Oh, wow. Welcome to All Sides. Mm. Hi. Um, I, I'd like to say, well, a couple of things. My experience is once people get used to riding the trains, they like it. It's just making that transition from driving to uh, riding the train is, is the, the big hump. But um, I'd also like to ask, is there thought of combining like with the airports? Like in Frankfurt, Germany, the train station is right in the airport. So instead of people having to, you know, get on a, you know, wait for a smaller flight, they could just go right to the train and get to their get to their ultimate destination, which might be, you know, a city 100 miles away or something. That's a fantastic idea and one that we are definitely uh, keeping in our minds as we do this planning. You know, Amtrak came out with uh, kind of an initial plan a few years ago of you know what might Amtrak look like in 2035 if they expanded. And a lot of their expansions or new stations were at airports or other big like transfer centers. So, yes, being able to just hop off the train, go right to the airport uh, is very appealing and uh, very uh, great and something we're definitely considering. We have an email from Emily who has a question about eminent domain and how properties might be taken to, say, build these stations or lay these lines. And I think that might be a good question for you, David, because Crestline's mayor was told that a rail line couldn't go into the historic Pennsylvania Railroad Station. So what possible locations in Crestline are you guys looking at? So we're, we're looking at a number of different possible locations. Um, I think in terms of a general approach, uh, not necessarily in favor of eminent domain. I mean, it's been decades when, you know, em eminent domain for economic development purposes. But I think the the end goal would try to be to work with property owners to get it to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Crestline is not that large. And so there's a but there are a number of different options uh, on or, you know, around that area. That, that might make sense. So there's nothing specific that we can disclose at this point, but uh, there are a number of options. I want to take a call from Keenan in Fredericktown out in Knox County. Welcome to All Sides. Hi. Uh, yeah, I, was, I have a question about, would Morpsey try to talk to local communities to upzone 
the land in the areas around the stations to have more dense housing or mixed use of business and housing. Um, Yes, we. I mean, we have those conversations currently, even without passenger rail, about what what is a you know a, a smarter way uh, of development. You know, doing something that is transit supportive, uh, train supportive. So that would be those denser mixed uses. You know, as we you know, go through this planning process, again, we're right at the beginning of it. Uh, but we we're going to work with all of our local partners on identifying where potential stations are, different connections, uh, but also what makes sense to uh, make sure that when they you know, put this investment into their communities, that they're maximizing this investment and having you know, the best uses around them as well. I think that's a good question for you too, David, about what kinds of resources might spring up around a rail station. You know, I I was saying earlier that uh, I grew up in sort of a suburb of New York City and my dad rode Metro North. And I I remember there was all kinds of little restaurants and shops and like dry cleaners that just sprung up around the train stations. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of that personal service. You're going to get retail. You're going to get a number of kind of supportive services also for people not only uh, getting on the train, but coming off or, or taking a stop. Uh, and you're going to get a lot of that uh, activity that's just going to support. It's going to be a hub, right? And so because where there's more people, you're going to get more of that activity. And so I think it, uh, again, from a perspective of whether you're living there or getting off the train, you're going to get a lot of quaint little shops as well as uh, shops that, that serve uh, kind of the daily needs. Yeah, you'd always see uh, also little pop-up stands, like little food stands, like there'd be the breakfast bur- burrito lady in the morning and that's great and awesome and you can grab like a hot breakfast on your way into work yeah we have a couple of those or the coffee shop that's in crest line you know uh, making it really easy for people to get fresh roasted uh, fresh ground coffee <laughs> uh we have a really interesting email that came from cassandra and she has some concerns about commercial rail lines and commercial rail safety you know we heard about the derailment in east palestine Um, There was an investigation by ProPublica that she's referencing that talked about children climbing in between stalled train cars to get to their schools. And sort of how how do we keep commuters safe as we increase capacity and increase trains running on these lines? That's a very important consideration. Uh, So when the governor's office decided they wanted to support this endeavor and look at introducing passenger rail, the number one thing that they looked at is how do we make this safer for everyone? Not just passenger rail, but the existing freight traffic as well. We saw what happened in East Palestine and in other places that this isn't just an invest, a potential investment in passenger rail. This is an investment in our entire rail network to decrease at-grade crossings or at least making them safer, which improves our highway safety as well. So we want to make sure that as we invest in these uh, upgrades – that it's to the benefit of everyone. We have a call from David in Columbus. Welcome to All Sides. Hey, thanks. I just wanted to call and support the idea of using the train. I think it's really uh, important to understand that most people don't even understand that they can take a train from, let's say, Cleveland to Chicago or Toledo. Um, I did it for years, um, and uh, I couldn't drive there. For what I drove, what I was able to ride the train. Uh, the cool thing is, is I would sit there in the morning, get on board, uh, go over my emails, uh, grab breakfast on the train. Uh, by the time I got to Chicago, my breakfast was done. I checked all my emails. I maybe even took a nap <laughs> and got off on the train, and it's only 9:30 a.m. 
so that's running on traditional, you know, the rails, uh, Amtrak's running on, along with all the freight trains as well. I think that the freight business is going to continue to explode. And as we move towards a greener, friendlier, cost-effective way, there, like the gentleman said earlier, there is no more effective way to move freight per mile than through currently a diesel locomotive, which essentially, as time goes by, of course, that will most likely turn into a full electric-type situation. But I don't believe there's going to be enough room on the freight rails but what I do know is the freight rails own the property. That's the key thing, is they have the land. They have the right-of-ways and the easements to get to where you want to go. My idea is the passenger high speed and maybe not even high speed is elevated. And I'm talking about a system that runs right over top of the existing or in their easeway and it's basically, if you've ever been to Cedar Point and seen one of the roller coasters that hangs from a tube and runs <laughs> down, that, that's what we build. I mean, because that would be quite something. It, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, actually, I will say full disclosure, uh, my junior year of high school, I did most of my AP English reading on Metro North. So I read Tale of Two Cities and all of those kinds of books back and forth to see friends in the city. Uh, it's a great place to read a book, uh, but uh, you do have to be careful because sometimes you can miss your stop if it gets really, really good and you're really <laughs> into the middle of it and you look up and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> but, David, I want to ask, how do the citizens out in Crestline feel about the possibility of Amtrak expansion? Everybody is very, very excited. I think there is an understanding and an appreciation for its impact locally as well as statewide. So I think there's a tremendous support for it locally, but also for the overall state initiative. Uh, All Aboard Ohio is going to have a whistle stop tour, which is kind of a sharing the planning. We're, we have 360 plus registered to show up and hear what's going on in, in, in our little neck of the woods, which is, I think, an indication of some of the, uh, the enthusiasm that people have for how this is going to really be a transformative uh, transportation technology that's just going to really augment quality of life and economic and development. Morpsy too, right? You've had some listening tours. You've invited uh, public feedback. How do people get in touch with you to be a part of that going forward? All right. So we always uh, love to interact with uh, everyone who uh, has an opinion, uh, hopefully positive, but has an opinion on passenger rail. Right now we are, we are at the very beginning of this uh, planning endeavor and it it's going to take a little while to get into the meat of the planning to identify where stations could be, what upgrades need to happen, what the service is actually going to look like. So right now we haven't you know, uh, developed any official formal public comment or engagement. When we get to that point, we will definitely uh, roll that out and share with folks. But I would encourage everyone to visit our website uh, morpc.org and uh, morpc morpc.org and search for passenger rail and it has information on the routes that would come through uh, central Ohio and the uh, existing support that people have um, you know sent in when we put the applications in. I'm going to take a call from Uday in Columbus. I hope I said that correct. 
Uh, yeah, that, that was uh, correct uh, pronunciation. Uh, my question is, I, I've been a resident of Columbus for the past uh, 20 years, and my philosophy had been, if you build, they'll come. I drove to uh, Cleveland. I drove to Cincinnati frequently, and I wished there was a railroad. And the question is, why did we uh, refuse federal uh, uh, investment in building those things? And I know in uh, 2008, maybe later, there was a lot of money offered to build a CCC, uh, Cincinnati, Columbus to Cleveland Railroad, for passenger travel. Why did we do that and uh, how politics involve uh, whether we accept or refuse federal investment? That is a complicated question about what happened under the gov- under Governor Kasich's administration. I'll let you answer it if you'd like. <laughs> Well, I don't want to speak for uh, past administrations at all, but what I will say is under the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, not just the Corridor Identification Development Program, but across all passenger rail programs within the U.S. DOT, uh, there's a lot more support, uh, not just for planning, but also construction and service that lowers the risk for potential sponsors, say the state, to actually run the service. As it is now, uh, or you know, going forward, the state would have to um, or wouldn't have to worry so much about, you know, you know, investing in the cost. service as much for up to seven years later. So they can reinvest in building ridership and making sure that what we're planning for is the highest quality that we can. That was Elliot Lewis, a senior planner for the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission. Coming up, we're expanding our conversation to include all public transit. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staver. We're talking this hour about trains, and whether this current effort to bring passenger rail back to Ohio is going to be the one that succeeds. Before the break, we were talking about how small towns and suburbs want in on railway expansion. And now we're turning our attention to all the ways we can alleviate congestion throughout Ohio. Still with us is Elliot Lewis, a senior planner for the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, and joining us is John Esterly, a board member with All Aboard Ohio a statewide advocacy organization for the development of more and better passenger rail and public transit. Welcome to All Sides. Good morning. So we got a email that came in over the break that I think may be a good question to start us off. 
um, because I think it applies to both buses, trains, planes, all kinds of public transport. And this uh, emailer, Emily, is curious to hear how the needs of people with disabilities and older adults who aren't um, as mobile are being taken into consideration as we expand passenger rail. Absolutely. So that's a great question. And, uh, you know, to kind of build on what Elliot said during the last uh, segment, um, there are folks that don't really have a vehicle as a transit option uh, because of whatever mobility issue, folks that are uh, older, folks that uh, might be in a wheelchair or have some other mobility issue. So um, being very intentional about how we build out our transit, not only uh, passenger rail, but also the kind of first and last mile support, your paratransit, your bus systems is, is very important as well. And you were, John, you were quoted recently as saying that Ohio was a disproportionate winner when it came to this round of federal rail funding. Can you explain what that means? Absolutely. So Ohio had uh, a total of six um, potential corridors as part of the corridor ID study that had been submitted. Uh, and uh, we were uh, rewarded with four. Um, so three of the ones that were submitted and then a fourth one that Amtrak kind of snuck in at the last minute uh, <laughs> uh, for us as well. So, you know, four out of our six or four out of our seven, however you want to look at it, uh, we, we were uh, awarded and, and will continue to study. I want to take a call from Tim in Columbus. Welcome to All Sides. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm very interested in this topic. I was just... Uh, thinking about tourism and thinking about uh, the years I spent with my wife in Southern California. And when we first moved there, we worked at a hostel in the Central Coast, and we got lots of travelers from Europe um, because they <laughs> it was about as far away from San Francisco as they would go without renting a car. Um, mm. And I, I just, there's so much tourism I think we're missing out on in central Ohio because we're not connected to rail. Um, most Europeans, when they want to visit the U.S., they look at where can I get by rail. Um, they don't want to rent a car or, you know, maybe they bike, you know, within a day of where they are. But th I think we're, I, I just think it would open up a lot tourism wise to have trains, um, both, both, uh, you know, like intra-city intra and, you know, within Columbus. I think that's such a great point. As someone who has rented a car in a foreign country, it can be terrifying when you don't speak the language, when you don't drive on the same side of the road, when you don't know how to read the signs and the miles versus kilometers conversion mm -hmm. can be tricky. Anything to add? <laughs> I'm looking at you like, say something. Well, I'll, you know, I'll add that you have a lot of people who can't drive or don't want to drive or don't have cars we're sitting right next to Ohio State. There are a lot of students on campus who would love to go you know, back home or go on you know, spring break somewhere, not have to drive because they don't have cars here. I don't think they're actually allowed to have their car their freshman year. I might be wrong, but there are some campuses that don't permit right. it. I think, too, uh, not only um, in the hospitality industry, but also just international business, making central Ohio and, and the Ohio region much more attractive to businesses that might have uh, folks coming in from Europe, coming in from Asia, where rail transit is just a, a way of life. And we don't have that here. So we kind of stand out as as having that uh, that lack. That's a good segue into the fact that Columbus is the only major American city without train service. So, John, why has uh, Central Ohio here gone so long without passenger rail? 
I think we've always just been on the cusp of being the next one selected. So I'm I'm very excited to uh, see um, not one but two routes that include Columbus uh, selected in Ohio uh, for further study. Um, I think that, you know, maybe I'm the wild-eyed optimist in the room, but I think that both of them are, are going to become, you know, just a matter of, uh, of necessity uh, as we continue to grow in central Ohio. So having that connectivity... Uh, you know, to Cleveland, to Cincinnati, to Chicago, to Pittsburgh, and points beyond is, is going to be critical to us continuing to grow. And that point about growth is critical. And we're projecting over 3 million people in our region by 2050. Not everyone can drive that. There's going to be a congestion, and we can't just build another lane on every highway and build our way out of congestion. We need to have other modes uh, to be able to take people off roads and get people where they need to go safely. I want to take a call from Jerome in Marysville, who has been waiting a very long time. Thank you so much, and welcome to All Sides. Thank you. Um, so I lived in Japan for a number of year, years and lived in three different localities, ranging from Tokyo to rural area outside of Hiroshima. And even in you know, all but the most rural areas, they have excellent public transportation. And yeah, it's not perfect. It's all got its problems. But um, one of the great benefits is, is improved health. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Um, you ride your bike or walk to the train station. From the train station, you walk to the subway station. From the subway, you walk to the bus. And then from bus, you walk to work or school or whatever. And I'm convinced that's part of um, the longevity of Japanese people and the overall health and part of the... Um, obesity crisis in the u.s when we moved back i put on so much weight and i'm convinced it's because i i was driving again and i come from the la area the home of shooting yourself in the foot by tearing up railways and putting in freeways um you know japan was wonderful i know that when i lived in chicago i lost about 10 pounds just walking to work and back yeah, you definitely walk. There's even been studies that people who live in major cities with public transit walk a lot more than people who don't. I've always found it funny that people jockey for the clo- closest parking spot to the gym. Yeah, like, you know, that we're kind of like fighting each other for the like spot closest to the door to the gym. Um, but, John, I. You know, I think this conversation about congestion and growth in central Ohio is so important because, you know, Delaware County is expected to more than double, double in population in the next 10 to 20 years. It's the fastest growing county in the state of Ohio, 21 percent in the last census. It's just, you know, the sheer number of people moving to the region is going to require us to really think about our roads, our trains, our buses. I agree. And I think, uh, you know, we're very fortunate in Ohio. We have a lot of legacy rail infrastructure, uh, over 5,000 miles throughout the state of of, uh, rail infrastructure that's primarily being used for freight. And uh, we've got some opportunities to really uh, take advantage of that. Um, a lot of it is is underutilized at this point, and we can um, take advantage of that excess capacity to move people around. You know, you make a great point. There's uh, a lot of growth in central Ohio, not just Franklin County, but also to the north. We look at projects like the Intel plant going in that are going to be huge employers, and we're going to need to move a lot of people around to make those uh, all those pieces work. 
So I think it's important to be very mindful of that. And and like Elliot said, we can't just keep adding lanes to the the freeways um, because we're, that's that's not going to solve the problem. And we're sort of landlocked in a lot of places. I mean, we talk about the expense of laying rail lines, but uh, the eminent domain possibly even that would be required to, say, expand 23 into a proper highway. As somebody who drives up and down 23 <laughs> every day, I'm like, I just, you look at all the stores along the edge and I'm just... I don't know how possible that is, how feasible it is. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that, uh, give a shout out to, again, to our transit partners at CODA, at Delaware County Transit, in Licking County as well, but also ODOT. ODOT is looking at a workforce transit study, thinking about, you know, the future growth, economic and residential growth in the northern and eastern parts of our region and how to connect them with transit and not just, uh, you know, personal vehicles. Yeah, I think there's a a real lesson to be learned. So I... I lived in Denver for a number of years, and they grew so quickly that their infrastructure did not match. They don't have a circle, like an outer belt. They don't have like a 270. And it shows. (laughs) (laughs) Their highways are so congested in ways that are just painful. And I I think there are lessons from rapid-growing cities that have already been through this, that if you don't plan for it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Exactly. Agreed. Not that there's anything wrong with Denver. I just, like, I have to tell you, like, it is, I lived about five, six miles from downtown, and it could take me an hour to get there sometimes. It was just brutal. Uh, I want to take a final call from Omar in Columbus. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I was just calling because uh, I lived in New York before, and I moved to Columbus just like 20 years ago. And I realized that in Columbus, I don't think that the people have a tendency to share ride, like uh, getting to the, the same place, like buses or a train. So I think that I don't think that the, the, that project will survive very well in Columbus because when you look at the buses that we have in Columbus, all the time when you see a bus, you see maybe two to three people inside the bus. I know they spend too much money to make it survival, but how are the, how are the people going to change their mentality to share ride like that? I think that's, uh, you know, your question is also kind of the answer. We need to change people's mentality. Uh, I think a big part of what we're looking to do with this expansion of passenger rail and of transit in general in, in Ohio is to offer folks different options and different opportunities than driving. And I think as they uh, take advantage of that and they can see that it can work for certain trips, maybe not every trip, but at least the ones that make sense for them, that it'll become more attractive and you'll see more folks uh, riding on on trains and, and buses. Yeah. And from a previous caller, uh, you know, she she had said, you know, once people actually ride the train, they understand, you know, how enjoyable it is. It's getting back to, you know, it can be fun. It can be productive. And it's, you know, you're not behind the wheel. You're not getting road rage. You're not getting Sounds rail like rage an ad campaign. at all. You're going to need like <laughs> like a clever, uh, a clever 30 second spot. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking about all the pros, the cons, the concerns uh, with passenger rail coming back to Ohio. Uh, as we're getting down to the end of our conversation, what do you think the timeline looks like if this is going to happen? Elliot, when do you think we're going to actually, you know, have the the champagne like cracking against the train car for its first ride? That's a very good question. Uh, This being a new federal program, it's very deliberate. 
Uh, I will say, though, you know, we're, we want it to be deliberate so that as we plan for this, we know exactly what it's going to take to make a successful service. That when we do have service, it is the best one that Ohio, uh, you know, invests in. Uh, but that's going to take some time. It's going to take several years to go through this planning process to identify what that service is going to look like, where the stations are going to go, and what upgrades might be needed on our rail network. You know, this planning process will uh, take us to just about shovel-ready uh, status for some of this stuff. And then you know, once you go into design and construction and ultimately service, you know, we're hopefully by the end of the decade, about 2030, is when we want to see the first train uh, out of Columbus. Agree. agree? <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think a lot of the folks um, that, that have been kind of uh, throwing a dart at the wall to estimate the, the first train service are arriving at that same point, the end of the decade, 2030. And I think, uh, you know, the different routes in Ohio arrive at that point for different reasons, but I think at the same timeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are new services that we're talking about. It's not, you know, existing passenger rail service enhancing that or an extension of something. These are these brand new. So it's going to be more complex when we look at these plans, look at, you know, what this service is going to be. No, I think that sounds like a reasonable time frame for a project like this, especially because this this first phase, this federal feasibility study, it's taking at least a year, correct? Yeah, just about. Yeah. And so like it'll take until 2025 to even get through the initial planning. And then you're right, we get into the fun but probably messy business of where do we put stations? Who gets one and who doesn't, which I'm sure has its own... I don't want to say fights, uh, heated debates is probably the right way of putting it. Probably. But again, we're not going to know that until we get into the meat of the planning. Well, thank you guys so much for your time this hour. Uh, We were talking with Elliot Lewis, a senior planner for the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission. Thank you. Thank you. And John Easterly, a board member with All Aboard Ohio, which is a great name for an organization. (laughs) Thank (laughs) Thank you you so much for your time this hour. And thank you all so much for your calls and your comments and for listening to All Sides with Anna Staver on 89.7 NPR News.